Jason D. Morris and Carly Street. All right, so this is your show. I don't know what to say. What would you? What did I say? I don't, I don't know. know. I, I wasn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> so that's us arguing about who's going to open the show. This is episode number five. So, for the drink tonight, we're going to make. An old fashioned. Have you ever had one of those before, is, Carly? Is that what it's called? An old it's, fashioned? Yeah, it's called an old fashioned. I was waiting for you to say an old fashioned something and then say something. <laughs> an old fashioned uh, whiskey. An old fashioned gin, <laughs> an old fashioned whatever. Yeah, I mean, we could call it an old fashioned whiskey because that's what it's made with. Okay. All right, now I've had these before. But I guess I didn't necessarily know exactly what was in it. All right. And this is one of the another one of the few drinks that I'll drink with a little bit of lemon. It usually will come with like a twist of lemon. Um, but an old fashioned has whiskey, uh, bitters, a sugar cube, Ugh. and a twist of lemon. What's bitters? So um, for you, those of you at home, we have our uh, resident bartender, uh, pub owner, uh, drink aficionado, uh, Jonathan Street on the line. He's going to explain to us what bitters is all about so we have a better understanding because obviously Carly knows nothing and <laughs> only wants to drink straight alcohol. So Street, why don't you give us a breakdown of what bitters is and what it's used for? Yeah, well, bitters, uh, it was invented, it's an alcoholic prep drink. Technically, it's it's natural herbs. Uh, it's been made from fruit, uh, even bark. It's also it's used for medicinal purposes originally. During the prohibition, they used it to, to get around it because it is alcoholic still. People don't realize it is actually alcoholic. Yes, now I actually found that out today, um, looking it up, is that it does contain a um, considerable amount of alcohol. Exactly. So prohibition, it was obviously a very good tool to use to get around the actual alcohol. Uh, another good fact is as well, the reason Irish and Scottish whiskies were so popular in them days is because they were the ones that were illegally imported. And that's how they become so popular over in America. Oh, interesting. Because obviously at the time they couldn't have their distiller whiskies and stuff like that. So they had people running them over as well as rum. But anyway, um, yeah, going back to the bitters, it's a cocktail uh, based prep, basically. So depending on the cocktail that you have, uh, will depend on whether it can give it a sweet taste, it can give it a sweet bitter taste, uh, or just, just a bitter taste on its own. And in some cases, it can give it a sour taste. Uh, usually it gets a sour taste when you do it as a whiskey based cocktail. Um, so 
So if you've had any whiskey cocktails in the past where it's got a bit of a sour taste to it, then bitters is usually traditionally used. And it, very much to this day, you'll see it on pretty much every bar that you go into. All right, Street. Well, thank you so much for explaining bitters to us. I think uh, maybe we all have a better understanding on what it is and how to use it. I hope it helps a little bit. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Oh, brilliant. Thanks. Speak to you soon. All right, man. Bye. Yeah. A sugar cube. Why would you put a sugar cube in something that's not tea? Yeah, well, so a, a sugar cube, a cube of sugar dissolves slowly. And that's usually why you would do that. So as to where if you just dump sugar into a drink and you stir it up, it's instantly sweet. As to where a sugar cube will sort of dissolve as you sit there with your drink. Okay. So it's a slower process and it'll be less sugar induced into the drink. Okay. And you ran a pub. We don't have bitters. We don't put random spice crap in a glass. What do you guys have? Like, you're like an Old West bar where you got like whiskey. Yeah, we don't, well, we don't put bloody soda with it for a start. And we don't put bitters right. in it. Bitter is like a pint. You have a pint of bitter. Bitters, little bits of whatever's left. Strange. Very strange to me. There's a lot of different iterations of like an old-fashioned, I guess, but this is sort of the classic, apparently. Uh, and if you asked for a whiskey cocktail, this is pretty much what you would be getting okay. as an old-fashioned. The name comes from uh, an aristocrat, James E. Pepper. Now they say, um, you know, not to gar garnish it with anything. Um, pay attention to, you know, the ice cubes. Oh yeah, pay attention to the ice cubes, even though you've got something <laughs> in there that you can't describe and don't know what it is, but yeah. Well, they, they say because you want to make sure that the bartender stirs the cocktail separately, then pours it into a new glass with fresh ice. Um, it's a drink that's supposed to be sipped. Not surprised. For a while, for a, for a long period of time. And that's, again, goes back to the, the, the sugar cube idea. Okay, the sugar cube will slowly kind of dissolve in the drink. Right, so it's a little sipping drink, and I can't wait till you order a bottle of bitters and you, you know, check it out. As am I. I'm curious what you'll think. I'm curious what will arrive, to be honest. <laughs> so what are you drinking tonight? Are you drinking just a straight whiskey, or are you just back on the gin? Back on the gin, with some bitters. With some bitters. <laughs> Bloody madness. All right, folks. <laughs> there you have it. There's our drink for the night, the Old Fashioned. Uh, we're going to have to get Carly up to speed on that one and get her some bitters or else, uh, you know, she's she's not drinking along the same drink that we are tonight. <laughs> I'm going to get progressively more confused. I can see this happening. <laughs> <clears throat> we hope you enjoy your old fashioned and uh, welcome to uh, episode number five. We sort of, um, you know, let you guys know what we watched so that way you can watch it in advance and, you know, kind of follow along with us, uh, agree, disagree, hate us, shut it off, whatever. Um, but we're going to tell you what we think about the film Memento. I have this condition. A condition? It's my memory. Amnesia. No, 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 no. It's different from that. Since my injury, I can't make new memories. Everything fades. If we talk for too long, I'll forget how we started. And next time I see you, I'm not going to remember this conversation. What's the last thing that you do remember? My wife. That's sweet. Dying. Lenny! Lenny! 
guess I've already told you about my condition. Oh, well, only every time I see you. You don't remember where you've been or what you've just done? No, I can't make new memories. It's like waking. It's like you just woke up. When you find this guy, what are you going to do? Kill him. Maybe I can help you find him. Are you sure you want this? My wife deserves vengeance. Do not trust her. She's going to use you to protect herself. I think someone's been trying to get me to kill the wrong guy. You can question everything. You can never know anything for sure. Teddy, don't believe his lies. You wander around playing detective. Well, maybe you should start investigating yourself. Who did this to you? You did. I won. I have no short-term memory. Since my injury, I can't make new memories. Everything fades. If we talk for too long, I'll forget how we started. The next time I see you, I'm not going to remember this conversation. <laughs> I don't even know if I've met you before. I've told you this before, haven't I? Memento, which is directed by Christopher Nolan, and it stars Guy Pierce, Carrie Ann Moss, and Joe Pantoleone. Pan- Pantoli- oh my god! I love I love him too. He's amazing. He's fantastic. Well, he's not gonna love you if he is this. <laughs> Can't even say his Joe name. Joe Pantoliano. Did I say that right? I don't know. I'm not taking the. I'm not. Pa- I'm not locking myself Pantoliano. into that. Pantoliano. 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 Yeah, <laughs> mamma mia. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> um, he's a fantastic actor, by the way. I love him and like everything that he does. Um, unfortunately, gets typecast a lot. You know, he plays the uh, um, you know Midnight Run character too much. You know, which is now just you know like the uh, Bad Boys movies. I mean, it's the same character, unfortunately. So this is this is really a refreshing sort of uh, role for him, in my opinion. Um, and he's sort of the. He's he's the guy that I like to watch when I see this movie. Uh, released in two thousand, um, which sounds so odd. I hate saying the year two thousand because it's like I don't know. It's like twenty Feels years like there ago. There needs to be more to it. Man. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was released in the year two thousand. Directed by Christopher Nolan. Uh, stars Guy Pearce, Carrie Ann Moss, and Joe Pantoliano. Um, it was recently. Added to the National Film Registry for preservation, which I found interesting. I didn't. I didn't know that that it happened. Um, I feel like those things should be, you know, communicated more. Um, I don't know how to find out about that stuff, but um, Twitter. I thought that was pretty cool. Twitter, I guess. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a Twitter person, but yeah, I might be a twit, but I'm not really on Twitter too much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna put that as your new handle, Jason Morris. <laughs> The king of twit. <laughs> Jason the twit Morris. That could be my, my uh, noir gangster name. Oh my God, that's so funny. <laughs> <clears throat> Carly the street street. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, so I thought that was really cool. I mean, for being, uh, you know, a film that is, you know, such an important neo-noir that launched careers. 
Um, and it's, you know, may as well weigh into the film registry, you know, for the preservation. I think that's, that's crazy. Um, I also found it interesting when I was doing my research on this movie. And Carly, I'm going to let you carry this podcast because you're you're the huge Memento fan. Oh, I fucking Pat love Pierce. it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I am I like the movie, um, but I'll, I'll tell you my assessment on it later on as to why it's not like a favorite of mine, but I like it. It's not it's not a bad film. I, I You know, it's a good film. But uh, I, was in, I, I thought it was interesting to find out that, do you know who was originally going to play was it um, Brad, Guy Pierce's character? Was it Brad Pitt? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would have hated it even more. Yes, agreed. Yeah, because I, I really, the only movie I really liked Brad Pitt in was 12 Monkeys. And he's Seven. got such a small role in it. I like Seven a lot, but it's not because of Brad Pitt. No, anybody could have done that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a few, there's, there are a few scenes I think he shines in that film. But honestly, I think it's the understated character of um um morgan freeman and um uh kevin spacey that really shines in that film and kevin spacey's like in it like i don't know five minutes ten minutes tops yeah he's not in it that long yeah and i mean he is a scary son of a bitch in that movie you know um yeah anyways we're not here for seven but um, I was interested to find out that Brad Pitt was originally going to play that, and I'm I'm very happy that he didn't. Um, there was a few other people that they uh, were considering: uh, Aaron Eckhart, who I like; Thomas Jane, who I like, depending on the movie. Yeah. Um, I really loved uh, The Mist a lot, and I thought he was great in The Punisher. Um, but everything else, uh, he's kind of, eh, you know, whatever. Uh, but Aaron Eckhart was in another film that's uh, sort of neo-noirish called uh, Suspect Zero. I don't know if you've ever checked that out. Uh, it didn't do well at the theaters, but um, I enjoyed it a lot. So if you haven't seen that, Carly, you should take a look. <clears throat> eh, maybe. Ah, jeez. You're a hard sell. <laughs> Kinda. <laughs> um, and there's another gentleman in this movie. Uh, his name is Mark Boone Jr., um, who I also love as an actor. Um, and I, I was fortunate enough to meet him um, last year, I think it was, um, when we were doing our uh, little tour for our documentary, Millennium After the Millennium. We were at, uh, oh, I think it was Monster Palooza, maybe? And Mark's table was near ours. And him and Lance had done um, a movie uh, directed by Sam Raimi called um, The Quick and the Dead. And um, me and Mark had struck up a bit of a conversation. He told me some stories about that movie and whatnot. And um, So he's a really, really nice guy. Um, and I thought that his performance in the movie was pretty fun because he got to mess with Guy Pierce's character, which is, uh, what's his name? Uh, Leonard? Leonard. Yeah, Leonard. <clears throat> and awesome. Uh, also, Callum Rennie's in this film as well. Who? You know Callum Keith Rennie. The guy I always oh, your push guy. on you whenever your he guy, has a yeah. film. I'm like, God, yeah, we Callum, need to yeah. get that guy because he's amazing. Yeah, okay. Yeah. What did he play in this, though? Dodd. 
You're gonna make me look this up. The guy in the wardrobe. The guy in the wardrobe? Yeah! Bangs on the window the and it's like, hey, with a gun. <clears throat> Dodd! Yeah. Alright. I don't know. Maybe I need to watch more Do South. You should. <laughs> All right. Why don't you, uh, oh, we didn't even mention Carrie Ann Moss, who's got the connection to your boy, uh, Keanu Reeves. Oh, yeah. Did I mention that? Yeah. yeah. Who was also in a film with Callum Keith Rennie, Canadian oh, film, was which was fantastic. Yeah. Can't remember the name of it right now, but it was amazing. Oh, it must have been great if you can't remember. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. I just can't remember. <laughs> So I get a feeling we're either going to piss people off on this episode because there's so many fans of Memento. I mean, gonna, I'm not. You're going to. I might. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I might piss you off. You might be like, maybe. How with this? There's no episode six. Yeah. Screw you, <laughs> Morris. <laughs> <laughs> Twit. <laughs> yeah. All right. Why don't you give us your um, infamous synopsis on Memento? My synopsis in a nutshell. Okay. A heavily tattooed, a slightly beautiful and yet very confused chap with short-term memory loss tries to track down his wife's murderer. That's the worst one you've given so far. Why? Slightly beautiful. He, Come well, on. I thought it I thought it was integral to the plot. Oh boy. Why is that integral to the plot? You gotta explain yourself on that one. Because it is. It is not. I said it is. So <laughs> I'm watching this movie going, they dyed his hair blonde. <laughs> he looks like he looks M, &M like in a, a suit. <laughs> no, he, he worse than that. It looks like <laughs> like uh <laughs> Backstreet Boys. <laughs> I'm like, this is the silliest I mean <sighs> my gosh. I will agree I don't know why his hair's blonde. Well, because it makes his eyes pop. I mean, that's the only thing that I can notice why his hair would be blonde. It just like, it bugged the crap out of me. <laughs> and, you know, it's the 2000s. Everybody was that like. Everybody had blonde even, hair. So. Yeah, late 90s. I, you know. Did you When have I was in high school, I, I did. Yeah, I, I, I dyed my hair all different colors. But before Eminem even came out. I dyed my hair blonde. So he copied you is what you're saying. No, no. I just I just think it was a thing at the time. Like people just dyed their hair. And I I went through all the colors and, you know, blonde was just one of them at the time. I'd done it a couple times, you know, in between other colors. Green, blue, purple, black. <laughs> I, I did all the colors. you with green hair. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why oh, I did man. that, but I did it. <laughs> I think everybody needs a picture of that. I don't, you know what? I don't have a whole lot of pictures oh, of myself. Oh, conveniently enough. Well, cell phones weren't really a thing too much till like my senior year or something like that. We were still in the pager era. Yeah. <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> Jeez. Um, but yeah, so I, you know, I, I get it. I think sort of that time period was sort of, you know, coming off of that whole hair dyeing thing that was happening a lot. So I don't know. Maybe it was just an aesthetic choice to make his eyes pop, which is my thought process because it's the film. They're not going to be that sort of on the nose for, um, you know, that kind of thing. But I don't know. Who knows? <clears throat> not sure whose choice that would have been. But regardless, um, 
I'm going to let you take it away, or all I'm going to do is just keep slamming on Guy Pearce, well, and I don't want to do I, that. I feel like I want to know why it's not your favorite film. Like, why you don't... You like it, but you don't love it. I like it, and I see the merit in it. Like, I understand why people like it. There, look, Christopher Nolan is a great director when he's trying. And I think he tried really hard with this film. Him and his brother both. This is originally his brother... Uh, originally came up with this idea and wrote the first script and was trying to push it. Have you read the short story? I have not. Oh my gosh, it's great. It's like it a, an, in a monologue of Leonard. Like the black and white bits. It's kind of like that. Interesting. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll definitely seek it out and take a read. Um, I, I, I did find, find it interesting though that his brother was the primary you know, spearhead of this movie somehow Christopher Nolan who was moving to LA ended up you know making it and, and getting it you know pushed through and that sort of thing but um, it, it sounds like it's had several iterations before the actual movie <clears throat> but the reason why it's not my favorite film I feel like it's overtly complicated I don't I feel like they tried too hard to make it interesting by playing it out of order um, which which does work. I'm not saying it doesn't work, but I think that was sort of again a time period sort of thing. I think people, you know, were still um, reveling over you know Tarantino and um, uh, shit. What's the name of the movie? Um, Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. I don't know why I can think of it, which I also didn't really care. Such for too an much, overrated so. film. Yeah, I mean, that's my opinion, too. Like, again, I see the merit in it, and I understand it. Tarantino was brilliant in terms of knowing the rules and how to break them, okay? And I get it. And I feel like Christopher Nolan did the same thing here. Like, I don't think he broke ground here. I think that he made it so complicated that it's hard to criticize it. Um, because you really have to freaking pay attention to to find like a plot hole or anything like that. And I'm not even sure there are any, I'm not saying that there are, but it just seems like it's overtly complicated because it's told out of sequence. It's told in reverse. And there's also two different sort of sections, the black and white and the in color, um, which all in of itself makes sense and works together. And he does a fantastic job because he's a, he's a great director, but for my taste, it just made it, overtly complicated into what is ideally a very simple story. Question. Um, yeah. Did you watch the DVD feature where you can actually watch it in chronological order? I did not. I didn't even know that was a thing. Well, it is. Interesting. Mm. And uh, it's not that complicated when you watch it in chronological order. I know. That's what I'm saying. The story itself is not complicated. <laughs> And that's, that's the reason why it, it bothers me that it's told out of sequence, because there really isn't a reason to. Like, uh, his, his affliction, his issue with his memory doesn't serve the story as to tell it out of sequence. Uh, I disagree with that. See, I don't. I don't, I don't at all. Because his memory doesn't, I mean, that you're, it just doesn't make any sense as to tell it out of sequence because he doesn't remember things out of sequence. He's leaving himself notes. He, he, you know what I mean? He's still following that path from A to Z. Um, I think it plays so, into the unreliable narrator 
and the fact that you can't trust anything that you're seeing. And actually, there's quite a few different avenues to go off into, which makes you think, well, can he remember? But I think, that's also, I think that's also something that, that was done effectively between the color and the black and white. You know what I mean? I, don't, I still yeah, don't think that the, the out-of-sequence was necessary because you could totally get that, out of, you know, get that across using those two different... I think there's just too many tropes. I think there's too many things that he tried to do to make it a brilliant film, in my opinion. Um, it's it is it's well directed. It's but I just think it's just over complicated. That's really my only issue with it. And you don't like Guy Pearce? No, I think he's actually <laughs> fine in the movie. Like I, I really don't have a problem with him in this movie. Like he's just got this smugness to him that just bothers the shit out of me. <laughs> like and, and that's the reason why he works so well in L.A. Confidential. I mean, it's like that guy just feels like Guy Pearce. That is not a person I want to sit down at a bar with and have a drink. <laughs> because I would want to punch him. I'd be like, you know, shut the fuck up, dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? He just he just feels like he's that type of guy that's just so into himself, you know, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's a fantastic person, but that's what comes across to me in all of the movies that he's in. Um, you know, I don't know. And it's, it, it's that same feeling I have with, um, like, David Duchovny, you know, is the Guy Pierce, but Guy Pierce even more so. And it also severely bothers me about him playing Waylon and um, those new Alien movies. I thought that was just silly. <laughs> I knew there'd be like a deep-seated <laughs> hatred it from It really somewhere. is. It was just really... Why? Why did they do that? I mean, why did they put this dude in a bunch of makeup who is not really a fantastic actor? You know, I mean, honestly, it should have been... Lance was the right age. Lance should have played it. He had already played like the Waylon character's... You know, it just didn't make any sense to me. Whatever. I'm, I'm sure somebody can rip that whole idea apart too, but um, just Guy Pierce was such a left field kind of thing, <laughs> you know, but whatever. So, hey, Carla, let's take a break real quick and talk to our listeners about our sponsors. All right, guys, we're back and we're going to keep talking about this film. Guy Pierce, if you're listening, I thought you were fantastic in Neighbors. Um, so no, I haven't just saying. Neighbors. Wait, Neighbors. Is that that? That's the Australian uh, soap opera. Oh, okay. So That's why we that. love him in the UK because he was in our, he was in the Neighbors and Home and Away. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what that is. I don't know. <clears throat> but yeah, so there's that's that's the reason why. And I'll, I'll reserve my rating of the film later on. Okay. But I don't think my rating of the film necessarily reflects my issues with the film. Because a lot of my uh, opinions or ratings of film, I'm able to separate my personal feelings of it and still see the the merit of the movie. Which I don't think a lot of people can do that. And I don't think a lot of people can go and say, I didn't like that movie at all. But it's really well made. Yeah. And I think that movie is like a 9 out of 10, even though I didn't like it. And I don't think people can do that. And I, I think that's sad because everybody nowadays has, you know, social media opinions and it gets so muddled and convoluted. Even like if you've noticed, because um, you're a millennial. Oh, my God. And I'm not, I'm not talking bad, but I just mean, have you, have you noticed the shift like, you, like a classic film, for instance, like Jaws? Okay. It's a landmark film. Mm-hmm. 
it 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 launched you know summer you know movie going i mean it you know what i mean it mm-hmm. it, it it's a five star movie or in our case 10 10 gens, ten right? gens. right but millennials will see a movie like that and they'll give it like one star like i don't understand why this movie is like so has so many good reviews it's it was stupid and boring you know what i mean yeah. that, that's their you know I, I guess it's just a generational gap or something like that but my personal thing is i don't think that they've been brought up to learn how to appreciate art exactly yeah you're completely right there yeah I expect i mean in the same way i probably don't know how to fully appreciate like a picasso painting or something like that um because i haven't had the the training to understand it and um, I, I have actually taken, you know, like art history class and things like that. And I, I, you know, things like that. But I, I, from taking that, I can understand more why as to why somebody might rate something poorly just because it's a lack of understanding or knowledge or education um, without, I'm not trying to sound pretentious or anything, but I feel like there is that sort of generational gap, but also a lack of understanding, unfortunately. If he wants an armchair director. Well, yeah, exactly. Everybody, you know, a critic. But yeah, that's true. <clears throat> um, so the the further and further we go, the worse some of these films are going to be judged, you know, be remembered. Yeah. You know, and that's unfortunate. Well, fortunately, I'm here giving my ten gins out of ten every like three films. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, every three films, yeah. <laughs> unless it's. The Big Steel uh, or <laughs> Backfire. Uh, <laughs> All right. So take us into the movie, Carly. How does this thing start out? Where do we go? It's it's a it's a weird little adventure of backwards ass hattery. <laughs> that should have been the synopsis. <laughs> weird little adventure <laughs> of it. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I am... Um, I do, I do love this film a lot. It was uh, one, of, one of the films that I did for my A-levels. And I wrote this like five-page, really in-depth, really complicated, really clever Wait. assessment of it. What's an A-level? Uh, I don't know what the equivalent is. Um, well, just tell me what it is. What is an A-level? It's like a college course, I guess. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, so it's like a, like an honors, sort of like, you know, ahead of the class kind of Yeah, I guess so, thing. for you. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I tried to find it actually, so I could sound really clever, but I couldn't. So I'm just going to sound stupid. <laughs> so just roll with it. Um, well, you're going to need to find this because we're going to need to post this for people. I try. I try. It was. I sounded like a genius. Honestly, my intellect level on that. You would have thought I was a professor. This this review here, absolute garbled nonsense. My, my first note is open an image about a photograph yeah. being developed and how I liked that because it was like a memory fading. Uh-huh. Mm. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and that's that plays into like the reverse. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally get that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you're going to find that paper. You're going to find I, that I paper. I will try very hard. I'll try very hard <laughs> to find it. Because we're going to need to read that. We might need a whole show just on that paper. We'll need a memento part two. <laughs> memento part two. Carly's intellect found right <laughs> no I did uh, I, I, the reason why one of the reasons why this captured me is because I love how they introduce every character pretty much with a photograph I just found it so different to the usual narrative Shit, I didn't I didn't catch yeah, that the, the usual narrative of a film is 
we meet someone, then someone explains about them or somebody explains about somebody and then we meet them. In Memento, they skip that crap. Every, pretty much everybody's introduced by a photo and then you'll see something written about them which may or may not be true. And then one person mm-hmm. will say a name and the other person won't. So, for example, when Teddy and Leonard were first introduced, Teddy will come in and go, Lenny! And he just looks at him because we've already seen on the photo it says Teddy. Right. Little, so it's little just a things. master of confusion. Yeah, little things like that make it fast paced because you're skipping over the unnecessary crap. Which we, but I see what you're saying. You're just skipping over it to begin with, but later on it comes up because we have the whole exhibition of, you know, Teddy being a JG as well. I mean, there's, there, it's still there. Yeah, but it's initially, that's why it's, it's a little bit confusing. You don't see it in the right context. And that's, like I say, one of the things that kind of gripped me and made me interested in it. Because I didn't want to watch huh. Memento. I really didn't want to, but I sort of had to. For this college, yeah, for this it. college thing. So they assigned you Memento to yeah. watch? Interesting. And I actually ended up seeing my top five films. Wow. Mm. All right. Fair enough. And I like the... Um, I particularly like the black and white bits. Why? Why are they more intriguing than the color stuff? The, old, the root of the story, the real Leonard, that's where the intrigue is. That's where the different theories come up, is in the black and oh white my gosh, sections. Yeah, not, I feel the exact opposite. Not in the main color bits, because some of the main color bits then eventually turn to black and white and sort of fold into that Sammy Jenkins narrative. Yeah, see, I feel the exact opposite because I feel like the color bits, that's that's him. Because in the end of the movie, is he's deciding, basically, I don't care if this is wrong. I'm going to I'm gonna still carry on this crusade. So I kind of, I felt like the opposite. I feel like the, the black and white stuff is sort of like, you know, if you look at it like in, in terms of... Uh, good versus evil um, or you know devil and angel sort of sitting on your shoulders sort of thing I think the black and white stuff is more of like the, the good side of him trying to figure oh, that's things out interesting. and the the color side of it being like his devil um, so to speak and not necessarily that he's bad but that he's so conflicted as to what he's done he's going to carry on doing this which is essentially the same you know he more or less becomes Teddy's character. Teddy's using him to kind of do the same thing. See, that's weird because I, I find the interest in the black and white bit because I feel like that's kind of his mental, um, like him sort of doing, kind of like arguing with himself. And I think that that's um, where the real him is and that's where he's kind of trying to create the narrative of the colour. Could be. I, I, I know there's a lot of different theories out there and another thing I like is it's quite ambiguous so there isn't really one solid answer but I like the idea of him being Sammy Jenkins and I like the hmm. idea of him actually remembering and coming up with this routine and this mystery and this constant puzzle to solve as a way to keep his mind away from what he's actually done yeah and I, I, I totally agree with that I think that's the mystery of it 
And that's the fun part because, I mean, he knows a lot more or at least figures things out a lot easier in the color sections. Yeah, especially um, when he says something to Natalie, like she uh, tries to rip a photo up and he's like, oh, you've got to burn it. And then right at the end, at the last scene, when Teddy gives him that picture that's supposedly him killing John G, he burns it. Mm-hmm. So clearly, mm-hmm. he remembers that moment when he's talking mm-hmm. to Natalie. Either that or it's just from past history before. Possibly. And he just yeah. knows... Yeah, well, no, I think you're right, though, because why would he have to burn it? Why would he mention it? Why would he say that to her? Oh, you have to burn them. Yeah, I think you're kind of right. That is kind of weird. And I think that might fall into that sort of um, B story uh, with... um, I'm trying to think of what his name is. Um, Steven Tobolsky. God, I'm terrible with names. Uh, Stephen Tobolowski, <laughs> Sammy, not Jimmy. Oh, Sammy, yeah. Yeah, Sammy, where it's, it shows him as the insurance guy and he's watching him do the, you know, um, I think it's insulin or something um, to where his whole thought process is he thinks this guy, I think he says, in fact, he's a bad actor. Yeah. Um, and that might kind of play into it maybe maybe leonard is a bad actor as well maybe he's lost his wife and he's playing this role it's quite interesting because there's uh, there's like one really quick shot where he's talking about sammy and he's sat in an asylum just on a chair watching people go past and for a split uh-huh. second leonard is in the same spot in his chair like basically taking his place uh-huh. And it got me thinking, is he sat in that asylum and this is all playing out in his mind? Very well could be. And I, I think there's a few different theories on that. I think some of the theories is that Sammy doesn't even exist. Um, another theory, like what I'm saying, is that, you know, um, Leonard is aware and isn't actually not able to retain short-term memories um, and is faking it for the sake of uh, not feeling bad about the bad stuff he's doing, which is killing people. Which Um, is interesting, though, because he's not letting Natalie and Teddy manipulate him. He's actually manipulating them. Manipulating them, absolutely, yeah. And it it feels like he's putting himself through, like, uh, you know, a lot of trauma doing that but if you look at it in that light he's actually not you know he's putting them through stuff just letting them feel like they, ha- they have control um, but in the end they get what they deserve lots of different ways to look at it definitely yeah. but I mean again that just feeds my sort of idea of I think it's just overly complicated I would say I like that um, like, I like complicated stuff I overcomplicate the simplest of things. So I love this. <laughs> this is like a field day. Yeah, and I don't I don't have a problem with it being complicated. It's just it's overly com- like I just I think it detracts from the style of it. I think it's too much style that it detracts from it and, and you you start thinking too hard about it opposed to like sitting and enjoying the movie. Um and maybe it's just be, maybe I'm just dumb (laughs) it takes me longer to pick stuff up i don't know but yeah i I don't know i I mean but i i 
completely recognize it how well it's made. So I, I get why you feel that way and most people feel I that way. I think also as well, though, it's like, it is, oh, this is going to sound horrible when I say this, but it is a generational thing. From my point of view, I've not experienced a film like it at the time. So, I don't think that I have either. I don't think there is a film like it. Like, I mean, that gets that deep into it. Because I was just, at the time, I was just kind of, Exploring the war properly as a topic and learning mm-hmm. all the complicated terms and writing about it and studying it and really getting what little brain cells I had going. And then when I had to watch Memento, I was kind of offended right. because I just watched the Maltese Falcon before it. My films were the Maltese Falcon and Memento. So I was massively offended that I had to watch Memento. I was like, I don't think so. And then it completely blew because me away. Because it... In comparison, and I, and I thought the Maltese Falcon was the best thing since sliced bread. <clears throat> and then oh, I watched this, okay. and I was like, there was just so many ways to go that my brain never, I could never settle on anything with it. And that's why it stuck in my head. And actually, I ended up writing like three or four papers on it. And I had to like pick the best one to put huh. in because I just couldn't. I couldn't get it out of my head because I couldn't work it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Why Why did you feel offended, though? I don't... Or not offended. Yeah, I was what offended, you yeah. You said Because I was... Um, <clears throat> yeah. In my film class, I was the only person who knew who Humphrey Bogart was. So straight away, I thought I was like the creme de la creme. Yeah. So I was watching... Obviously, I got assigned to one of his films, and I was watching these, and I thought, you know, film noir. The, these are the best. And then I... I got challenged with the neo-noir because that was it, the comparison, basically, film noir to neo-noir. And I was so offended because I was like, no, f- neo-noir, it's not even a thing. What is this nonsense? I'm not doing that. And then I realised that it translated so well, I could see the aspects of film noir to neo-noir, and that's what I blew my bloody mind. Really did. I grew up more on the neo-noir side of things. Um you know, primarily with things like Blade Runner and Chinatown. Um, so I I was aware of noir films. I just, at the time, being so young, just didn't like them. To me, as a kid, they were just black and white old movies. So I had zero appreciation for it, which is sad. Like, looking back, you know, uh, I, I hate the fact that I felt that way about them until I got into college and started That's to weird, really explore I was totally them. the opposite way around. I will, yeah. Which is great in my opinion. I think that's a much better way to experience, honestly. But in the scheme of things, if anybody is able to get to a point where they can appreciate, you know, noir films and, and classic noir films, neo-noirs, all of it, um, I mean, that's a positive. So however I think people go about it, I think is is great as long as they get to that point. So, I mean, like with you, I'm, I'm glad that you were able to, you know, appreciate neo-noirs, you know, and I guess Memento was sort of that stepping stone for you. Yeah, because off the back of Memento, I started watching things like LA Confidential, Seven. Um, it was like a chain reaction of films that I suddenly had an appreciation for that everybody raved about that I couldn't understand why they were raving about them. Genuinely, I was at a loss as to why they were going on about them. And then I watched Memento. 
then watched Deli Confidential because I like Guy Pearce. So I thought I watched that. Chain Reaction, Kevin Spacey, watched Seven and just went off that way. And I haven't seen Chain Reaction. I'll have to check that out. Is that what you said? There's a movie with Kevin Spacey, Chain Reaction? No, there's a movie with Keanu Reeves, Chain Reaction. <laughs> but I was saying it was like a Chain Reaction. Oh, I'm sorry. I totally but you should also that. I thought you were saying... Keanu Reeves' chain reaction as well. No, I know that one. That's the one where the truck got the like liquid nitrogen or something like that, right? Yeah, he's like a genius scientist or something. That was awful. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> that was terrible. You mean brilliant. <laughs> You're ruining your credit with our I listeners. Know. I know. I'm sorry. Oh my God, it's like saying Reindeer Games was a good movie. <laughs> you have that on DVD. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. I only watched it once, though. Well. Keeping my credibility. That's all you need to watch it is once. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. Well, that's good to know. Again, like I said, I'm glad that you uh, had that stepping stone and you were able to appreciate neo-noirs. Are you a fan of movies like Blade Runner and Chinatown, stuff like that? I am now. I I wouldn't have been before watching Memento. Because, I, like I say, I had this kind of... I don't know what the word is for it. Kind of like snobbery. Like, oh, I'm not watching that. It's not film noir. Nobody I recognise is in it kind of thing. Wasn't done in the 50s, you know. I think that's kind of like how people are the opposite direction. Yeah. You know, with with classic noirs. So that's interesting to hear. And and speaking of that, speaking of, you know, your your history with noir and neo-noir, how did all that play into your script, uh, Room 19? Like... What made you decide to write that as a noir? Do you know what? Um, I don't know if I ever told you. I didn't have any plan with Room 19. Um, The scary... sort of came to you? The scary thing about Room 19 is, after doing this podcast, I'm watching films going, oh shit, I kind of think I've got that in Room 19. There's little scenes and segments and stuff that I'm recognising in Room 19 that I didn't realise I'd seen before. Uh-huh. And with I was kind of, with Room 19, I was at the end of the road. I decided I was quitting, couldn't, couldn't be bothered with doing writing anymore. And I just had this idea, I had this character in my head and I just couldn't sleep or anything. It was driving me insane. And I turned my laptop on for the first time in about eight months and just wrote. And I just wrote it in a week just came so out for our, our our listeners can you give us uh your um synopsis for room 19 to so oh they God, know I what we're talking about i can't do a synopsis in a nutshell for room 19 because i give you have it all to. away i give it's it away late. you have to it's too late uh the guy in a motel room <laughs> <laughs> that's awful <laughs> yeah but i give it away every time i try and explain room 19 to somebody i give away the freaking ending all right so i'll try to do it here okay so for everybody that's listening room 19 is a script that carly wrote that we're working on to make a feature film um it's important to us it's how we met um and it's uh it's it's a neo-noir type film it it takes place in in the year 2000 ish Mm -hmm. um and it revolves around a father whose daughter is murdered. Um, she is a, um, well, I don't want to give that away. <laughs> See, it's hard. Well, I mean, I can give it away. She, you know, she, um, well, I don't want to give it away. 
His daughter's murdered and he holds up in the motel room where she was murdered. Um, and he's waiting on some potential new evidence as to who might have killed her. Um, we should have read the internet movie database synopsis is what we should have done. <laughs> well, they can look it up on IMDb. They can look up room 19 on IMDb and you can see that one. But yeah, basically his daughter is murdered and he's uh, about to be presented with some new evidence that might lead to the murderer. And it's been, we're talking 10 years after her murder. Um, and uh, so this is a pretty important uh, night for him. And it goes through the process of him sort of facing his demons of, of his daughter's murder. Um, and there's lots of uh, different characters that come in and out of, you know, the story while he's in this room. Um, and so it's, it's very, you know, it's very dark and gritty and, and uh, noirish in, in theme and tone um, and style. Uh, so I was asking Carly basically like what, what led her to create the script in that sort of tonality. <clears throat> it's probably just years of film noir that wanted to explode out my brain. Yeah, it could be. I mean, it's definitely the, the, in my opinion, the proper setting for the, for that type of story. Cause that um, script is actually like a, if you, if you had a rule book of how to write a screenplay, you could just check everything off the list of how not to. It's basically what everybody says you shouldn't do. I've done. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And I think that there's a lot of films that do that as well. Um, it's it's weird because it is conventional, but it's also not conventional. Mm. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I think people will be it's interested in, in seeing it um, or reading it. I don't know. Are we at the end of this, Carly? Are we, are we ready to give our rating? I think we should do a rating, yeah, because I'll just ramble on about Guy Pearce for another 25 minutes and I don't think anybody wants that, except maybe <laughs> Guy Pearce, who's probably not listening. <laughs> yeah. All right. You want to go first or you want me to go first? Well, we know what mine's going to be, don't we? 10 gins yeah, out of 10. Yeah, there's going to be like 20 gins out of 10. Twi yeah. yeah. A million gins. <laughs> I, I'm going to give it an 8 oh. gins out of 10. Um, I think it's a very well-made movie. Um, I think he did a lot of things that were unconventional. Well, I don't know. I, there's a, there was films that were doing black and white and telling stories out of order already. But he did it well. Did uh, it masterfully. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say he did. I don't know masterfully because I still think it's overly convoluted. I don't, and I don't think there's any reason that it had to be. But... He, he did do it very well. I think he's a very good director. Um, I think it's a well-acted movie, um, even Guy Pearce. Um, <laughs> and the only major negative is his, you know, his hair. His <laughs> hair kidding. and smugness. If only okay. Guy Pearce wasn't smug and blonde. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's... Um, I only think it, it feels groundbreaking because he did basically the same thing that Tarantino did. You know, he just flipped, you know, things on its head. Um, but all the same tropes are still there. And, you know, but uh, it's it's very well made. It's a, it's a well made movie. Um, and it did very well, critical acclaim. I'm surprised. I mean, it won awards, but I'm surprised it didn't like 
end up being bigger. And I guess it, because, you know, it was small for the time. You know, I think it was like a $4 million budget or something like that, which is huge to me, but, you know, in the scheme of things. And Carly, you give it... A million. A million. A million pierces. A million pierces. <laughs> Ten gins, a million pierces. All right. And this is in your top five? Yeah. Where does it place in the top five? Four. Four? Yeah. Not one? Not two? Not three? Four? Four, yeah. That's like towards the bottom. I mean, it's the top five. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All yeah, right. Yeah. I'm interested to find out what your other ones are. Don't tell me yet. Maybe we'll get to them. I won't. Maybe we won't. No, we'll Say something crazy like Gone with the Wind. I'm, this podcast's over. Well, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like Clark Gable, so. <laughs> you know, I forgot to mention this on our last podcast uh, about Mildred, Mildred Pierce. Um, Butterfly McQueen. Her, um, her like assistant, I wouldn't call her her maid necessarily. I guess she became her maid when she bought the house. But um, she was the maid, Scarlet's maid, and Gone with the Wind. Um, and she has the unmistakable high-pitched voice. Yeah, I would say it was a little really, high, wasn't it? Yeah, but I think she's great. She showed up in a lot of stuff. She's been on a lot of things, and I thought she was she was amazing. Um but uh, I don't know. I wish I had I'd brought her up in the last episode when we were talking about um, Mildred Place. Mildred Mer- Pierce. Mildred Pierce. <laughs> I, <don't laughs> I want to always call it Mildred Place. <laughs> I mean, it's not called that, but okay. It is not. <laughs> I don't know. So anyway, <clears throat> there you have it, guys. Memento. Ten gens out of ten and... Eight gins out of ten. Um, and I know a lot of you guys will probably enjoy that film. Uh, maybe you watched it before this episode and uh, followed along with us and, you know, let us know if we're wrong. Let us know if Carly's wrong. No, wrong. I'm okay. No, she's not wrong. You don't, you don't have to wrong. let me know. I, I can live without that knowledge. That's fine. <laughs> Leave me in my bubble. Well, but if you do want to call us and tell us something, by all means... Give us a ring, 818-643-1441, or you can leave a message on anchor.fm. We'll put links in the description. And, uh, yeah, until next time. He's looking at you, kid. Toodles. this week on the Speakeasy Noir cast. Make sure to visit our website, resurrectionfilms.net, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or any of your favorite podcast apps, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you like the show, you might want to check out our book, The Dark Side of Acting Up, available now on Amazon, or you can check out one of our films available on Amazon Prime.